Bow with me and let's pray once again. Father in heaven, as we come to this point in our worship service, Lord, we just ask that you would move and speak, that you would add your blessing to the reading, to the teaching, to the proclamation of your holy word. Father, we we know nobody's here so that they can listen to some speaker, to some preacher. Lord, we've gathered together that all of us together might hear from your word. And so, Father, I ask that in in spite of a weak and and frail servant, that you, Lord, might speak your truth to us. That you might teach us from your word. That you would encourage us. That you would equip us. That you would challenge us. Motivate us. And bring comfort to those who are hurting. Bring reassurance to those who are doubting. Watch over us, Lord, and protect us. Help us to focus on you in these moments. We ask all this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope that you do, please take it and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. We will be reading verses 18 through 30 of chapter 18. If you didn't happen to bring a Bible with you, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew there in front of you. If you don't have your own copy of Scripture, feel free to take that Bible that's in the pew back in front of you and keep it as our gift to you. We will replenish it. It would be an honor and a privilege to be able to give you the gift of God's Word. So if you want to keep that, that is our gift to you. Whether you're finding the Word of the Lord on your phone or your tablet or in a a, bound book, or if you're following along on the screens, I would ask if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word? As we look together now at Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 18 through 30, I will read for us when I've completed. I'll say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond if you are grateful with the words, thanks be to God. Let's look together now. The word says, And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house 
or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As a part of our evangelistic emphasis on who's your one, we have been looking at Jesus's strategic one-on-one encounters in the gospel. We spent some time looking at John chapter 3 and Jesus speaking with Nicodemus. We then moved to John chapter 4 where Jesus meets this anonymous woman at the well. This particular story is a little different than those two. Because Jesus doesn't seek this person out, rather this person runs to him. There have been so many different interpretations of this passage. And if you're familiar with church, if you've grown up in church possibly, you may have heard this story any number of times. But it is such an important interaction that it shows up in Mark's gospel, Matthew's gospel, and Luke's gospel. We learn new details from each interaction. I think Mark sets the stage for us. So as we approach this in Luke, I want us to keep in mind that in Mark 10, 17, he says that this ruler, this man who is in charge comes and kneels at the feet of Jesus. We're not talking about the description of kneel is, is not the after football game Traditional, all right, everybody up, everybody take a knee. Everybody on a knee, all right, let's get in together. Let's say the Lord's Prayer because that's what we're supposed to do. Everybody in on a knee. We're not talking about something that looks like you're preparing to be knighted. We're talking about humble submission on both knees. Understanding, rocked back, knowing, not up and proud, but someone who knelt in humility before Jesus. Because Mark says that this man kneels before Jesus, I think that that should flavor all the rest of our interpretation of the passage. Someone who's trying to catch Jesus in a trap, someone who's trying to be snarky or snide to the Messiah is not going to come to Jesus and humble themselves and lower their status and submit to Jesus by kneeling in public By racing to him, fighting your way to get a one-on-one encounter with Jesus. And then instead of demanding answers from him, as we often see from the Pharisees and religious rulers, this man kneels and says, Good teacher, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? What must I do to inherit eternal life? It's incredible the way that Luke sets this up. The passage leading into this is how Jesus says, let the children come unto me. Because unless you come to me as a child with childlike faith, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And so right after that, we now have this man who comes in humility, bowing and kneeling before Jesus, calling him good teacher. And much like we saw last week with the woman at the well, when Jesus asks, go get your husband, says, tells her, gives her this command. She goes, well, I I don't have a husband. You expect for Jesus to respond in compassion, in kindness, right? For him to, to say, oh, I am so sorry that you don't have a husband. But remember, Jesus pushes her pushes her out of her comfort zone and says, oh, yeah, that's right. You don't have a husband. Actually, you've had five husbands. And right now you're living with a man who isn't your husband. You're going, whoa, Jesus, what what on earth, man? This 
this ruler who is wealthy, who could bankroll Jesus' ministry for the rest of Jesus' time on earth. And Jesus does not respond with, Ah, thank you, you have knelt before me. Ah, welcome into my presence. You have acknowledged that I am teacher. And you have acknowledged that I am good. No. No, Jesus immediately challenges him and pushes back on what he says. Listen to how Jesus responds and says, No one is good except God alone. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, some people take that and try and twist it to mean that Jesus is separating himself from God. Saying that Jesus is not one with the Father, but that's not what Jesus is doing. He is pressing this rich young ruler and saying to him, are you ready to acknowledge that Jesus is God? You come to me and you call me good teacher, but do you understand what you're saying when you call me good You see, Jesus has never had an identity crisis. There was not a single moment during his time before he came to earth, while he was on earth, or now in heaven, that he has questioned who he is or what his mission is. He has always known full and well that he is God, that he is the son of man who is mentioned in Daniel. He is the one who will be exalted and high and lifted up. That he was there before the beginning, that all things were made in him and through him and nothing was made that was not made in him or through him or for him or by him. Jesus knows who he is. He's wondering if this man knows who he is. You call me good. Do you understand there's no one good but God alone? Are you coming and kneeling before me and calling me good teacher to acknowledge you've recognized that I am the good teacher? Jesus immediately responds to challenge this man. Are you ready? And we'll learn he's not. Then Jesus continues and says, here, here, here are some commandments that you should follow. If you'll notice and recognize, these commandments are not in the same order that you find them in Exodus chapter 20. They're in somewhat of a randomized order. And it's almost as though Jesus is just sort of haphazardly listing them off. I've, I've read that some are suggesting that he puts them in the order that this man is struggling with. He leaves some out on purpose. But if you'll notice, they're all from what we would say is the second tablet of the Ten Commandments. You know, the Ten Commandments can be summarized as Jesus summarizes them elsewhere in the Gospels with love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So when we look at the Ten Commandments, we notice the first few commandments all deal with our relationship to God. And then as we move into the latter commandments, they all deal with our relationship to one another. And so Jesus points out to him all of these commandments. And the man responds and says, well, you know, if that's all that there is, I've I've kept these from my youth. And are you familiar with the phrase bar mitzvah? Has anybody in this room? I just really am curious. I I wanted to ask this question because I just want to. Has anybody ever actually attended a bar mitzvah? Could you just you just show me if you've been to one? 
Hey, there is one person who went to a bar mitzvah. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. I just didn't know. I didn't know if in Andalusia, Alabama, anybody had the opportunity to go to a bar mitzvah. This is the ceremony. A bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah is the ceremony where a young Jewish boy in a bar mitzvah or a young Jewish girl in a bat mitzvah becomes a full-fledged adult in the eyes of the Jewish laws. So they would, when they turned 13, after they were 12, they would turn 13, they would memorize these passages, they would go through this ceremony, and you were a bar, son, mitzvah of the covenant, of the commandments, of the law. You were no longer a child. You were now regarded as an adult who understood and could keep the law or a bat mitzvah, a daughter of the commandments, a daughter of the law. And so you were expected from that point forward to live up to the Ten Commandments and keep the Levitical laws. You were old enough to understand at that point. And so this man, when he says, from my youth, he's talking about from his bar mitzvah forward, he has kept those commandments. And man, sometimes I just wish it was about checking a box and keeping those commands. This guy is feeling great at this moment. I am awesome at checklist Christianity, Jesus. You said that we got to keep these commands. Not only have I been keeping them, I've been keeping them since my bar mitzvah when I was responsible for them. Boom. Super Christian right here, Jesus, ready to go. If that's what it takes, I got eternal life in the bag. He's excited about it. Then Jesus says, really, it's it's not about a checklist. What Jesus essentially says to him is you have to trust in me completely. Jesus says you have to trust the Messiah completely. What preacher? We just read that. I know that he says you got to sell everything you own and come and follow me. Right, right. But what Jesus is saying is you have to stop trusting your wealth. You have to stop trusting your status. You have to stop trusting your prestige, your power, and your prominence in society. And you have to trust me completely. The way you do that is by selling and getting rid of your wealth because it is your idol, young man. Divest yourself of the wealth. Rid yourself of your idols. Not just his wealth, but his power, his status. He was a ruler. Don't miss that he's not just extremely rich. He is the rich, young ruler. This is a good guy. This is a guy who's been following the commandments. He's probably a deacon in his church. This is the guy that we want to go on all of our youth trips. We want him teaching Sunday school because he's been following the commandments. He's extremely wealthy. He is a ruler. This is a good Christian man who's got the right face put on every Sunday that shows up in the pews. But showing up and putting on the face has never been enough. Jesus demands all of me. Jesus demands all of you. Jesus demands all of this rich young ruler. He says, you've got two idols in your life, young man. Your wealth and your dependence on being a ruler. You're so enamored with your status. You're so enamored with your wealth that you're not capable of following me completely. So go sell all that you have. Distribute the proceeds to the poor and come follow me. There's one thing to kneel before Jesus and to in sincerity try and find out how we might inherit 
eternal life. That lost him points with the Sanhedrin. That lost him points with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But it wasn't quite like abandoning everything and following Jesus. What what happened to Bob? Oh, well, you know, Bob sold everything he had and started following Jesus. How many of us talk about Bob in a positive light when that's what Bob does? When John Smith sells everything that they have and begins to follow Jesus wholeheartedly in our heart of hearts, in the deepest depths of our soul, in the darkest corners of our mind, are we really thinking, wow, what sold out faith? Or are we thinking, oh my goodness, what a fool. How, how's he going to, what is he going to, I just, this man, if he had sold everything that he owned, if he had submitted to Jesus, not just to kneel, but to follow Jesus, everyone would have written him off as absolutely crazy. There's no chance that he's back on any ruling status in any community because he's the lunatic who sold his money and gave it all away and followed Jesus day and night, sleeping on the ground. Birds have nests, foxes have dens, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That's what you're signing up for. This is the man that could have bankrolled all of Jesus' ministry. Jesus wouldn't have had to say, birds have nests, foxes have dens. He would have been able to say, the Son of Man sleeps in the Ritz-Carlton every night. And the Son of Man has a private jet. And when that jet fails, I'm going to believe the Lord to give me another private jet. Because the Son of Man has a rich young ruler who is following him. That's all Jesus had to say. But instead, this extremely wealthy man, Jesus doesn't dilute the message at all. And demands all of him. And this man is willing to bow before Jesus. He's willing to acknowledge Jesus is good. He's willing to acknowledge that Jesus is a teacher. But there's just two idols that he can't quite let go of. And notice, it breaks his heart. I know that's not a manly phrase, right? Macho men, we don't have broken hearts. It breaks this man's heart. It does not just say, he was disappointed, and so he walked away scuffing the dirt. Golly, Pete, I sure wanted to go to heaven. Now I guess I can't. It absolutely destroys his soul. He goes away very sad. Can you imagine this man who is on his knees before Jesus, picking himself up as Jesus and the disciples begin to walk away? And they're talking about this guy, and he's still right there, and he's, he's just turning. He's like, I can't do that, Jesus. You could have asked anything else, but I, I can't do that. As he turns, as he's distraught, he can still hear Jesus. As Jesus says, how difficult it is for the rich to inherit. Eternal life. I tell you, it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. This young, rich ruler probably could still hear Jesus talking. Jesus does not dilute the message at all. And once again, it seems like Jesus is not only 
taking the hard jab, but twisting the knife. As this young man walks away, sad and very distraught, he hears, must be hard for rich people. Do you understand how shocking this statement must have been? Do you know the number one sign of of blessing and going to heaven and inheriting eternal life in Jewish society at this time? It's prosperity. The rich people must be going to heaven. They must be doing something right because God is blessing them. People would read Proverbs and they would take away from Proverbs this twisted idea that the good get goods and that the bad get bads. That it rains on the just but not the unjust. That the plentiful crops come only to those who are good. And so the disciples, in their response, you can see this mentality. If he can't be saved, what hope is there for anyone? And then they say, but but Jesus, we left everything for you. And Jesus gives this statement that almost sounds like some sort of exact equation, right? It almost sounds like Jesus is saying that if you will give up something for him, God will give you that back fourfold. That's that's not that's not what Jesus is saying. But what he is saying is he guarantees that if we sacrifice our convenience and our comfort now, there will be rewards for that in heaven and there will be earthly rewards for that, but it doesn't mean that you're going to get an ROI, return on investment, that is fourfold, fivefold, tenfold, a hundredfold, monetarily or materialistically. It means that maybe you sacrifice your comfort and your convenience so that somebody can know the gospel and you get the privilege and honor of seeing them trust in Jesus. And if that's not the best ROI that you can come up with, then our hearts might not be in the right place. If the ROI that we're focused on is how much money can I get back from God if I give to God, then we have selfish, greedy, sinful motivations. But if we give up what we have, looking for how God might use that to further His kingdom, we'll see a return on investment that this world can't measure. And there'll be rewards waiting in heaven for those who sacrifice for Christ now. Jesus says it would be easier for a camel to fit through an eye of a needle. This is a Persian phrase. He means it's impossible. He means it can't happen. They didn't have elephants in the ancient Near East there in Israel. The biggest animal they had was a camel. The smallest opening was the eye of a needle. I know that you might have heard uh, some interpretations of this. The Greek word for camel is camelon. All right. The Greek word for cable or rope is, hang on, it's camelos and camelon. A camel is a camelon, a cable is a camelos. And so there have been folks that say, oh, it's just, it's just a scribal error. Somebody wrote the wrong letter. Jesus was talking about putting a rope through the eye of a needle. No. The Bible is perfect. There was no error in which word Jesus was saying. It was an established Persian phrase, elephant through the eye of a needle. I've heard some people that have said, all right, there was this gate, okay? This gate that was so tiny that a camel could fit through it. But for a camel to fit through this gate, they had to get down on their knees. You had to take all the stuff off of the camel and they would shimmy through this tough little hole. And the hole was called the eye of a needle. Yes, there might have been a gate like that. Maybe. 
But the only archaeological evidence that can be found to prove an existence of that gate possibly dates to the medieval times, like 1500s, 1400s. Just for reference, Jesus was like year zero. You remember that? So you're like a thousand years too late, roughly, give or take 500 years. It wasn't talking about some weird, random, small gate in the wall. If a camel wanted to come in the city, it went through the big gate like all the other people walking in. That's how the camel got in the city and out of the city. You know what Jesus is talking about? He's talking about the eye of a needle and he's talking about a camel because he follows up and he says it is impossible. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. There's no hope. If you try and do it on your own, you are hopeless. But guess what? There's all kinds of hope when you trust in God completely. Unlike this rich young ruler. Don't you find it interesting that Jesus doesn't run after him? Don't you find it intriguing that even though we know Jesus will leave 99 to chase the one, he gives this hard message to this rich young ruler, and the rich young ruler is devastated and turns away sad, and Jesus doesn't run up behind him and go, wait, 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 wait. All right, all right, all right, let me sweeten the deal for you, okay? What if, what if, let's think, let's brainstorm here, we can work this out, it's going to be okay. You give away three quarters of your wealth, and you only have to be a Christian on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. How about that? Does that work for you? What about, what about you follow me on Sundays and sometimes on Wednesdays, but the rest of the time is your time. How about that? Does that sound good? Come on. This is the eternal life. This is the gospel we're talking about. Just, just work with me. Let's compromise. No. Jesus doesn't say any of that. Jesus doesn't chase after this man at all. Now, that's not to say that God doesn't pursue us. Jesus is often referred to as the hound from heaven who pursues after his own. And that that is true. God never had to pursue us by leaving heaven and coming to earth. He definitely pursues us. But in this case, pursuing this man meant diluting the message. The only way to attract him back would be to offer something other than what the gospel is. And Jesus is not willing to do that. The gospel means we trust Christ completely. It means we let go of our idols and worship Him alone. And you know, maybe our idols are not wealth and status. Maybe they are, though. Maybe some of us are a lot like this rich young ruler. If Jesus showed up today and said, you, come follow me, sell everything that you have, give the proceeds to those in need and come follow me. Would we be able to do it? Would we be able to sacrifice our wealth and our prestige and our prominence in society to follow Jesus in such an extreme way? You know, There was a young man who's a member of our church, and I I love him to death. His name's Braxton Bozeman. He's a bull rider. He's a cool kid. We went to Shaco Springs. There's about 1,100 kids in this big old auditorium. And I was really down. I was feeling really like, you know, I don't need to step out with all the other youth ministers. We brought kids that all know Jesus. This is is just kind of like a formality. 
And Jessica elbows me and goes, hey, you're acting as our youth minister right now. Get up with those other youth ministers. Well, I get up and I I go stand in the corner and the speaker says, listen, if you want to trust in Christ completely, if you want to give your life to him fully, will you stand up right now? And in a room full of about eleven hundred people, Braxton Bozeman pops up out of his chair. And I immediately went (laughs) shows what I know, Lord, man, God, it's impossible with man. But with you, it's possible. There's Braxton, ready to trust in Christ. And so he and I walk outside and we get to talking. And I said, Braxton, I'm so excited for you, man. This is awesome. But I want to ask you something. If Jesus said to you that you could no longer ride a bull if you were going to follow him, that you could never go to another rodeo, would you still be willing to follow him? I want you to know rodeos are Braxton's bread and butter. They are his life. And this... This young man did not look at me and get very sad and sulk back inside, but he did stop and he thought, thought hard. And he said, you know what? Even if it meant I can't be at another rodeo for the rest of my life, Jesus is more important than a rodeo. And he decided right then and there to accept Christ and follow Jesus. He decided right then and there, bull riding's not going to be an idol for me. I'm going to follow Jesus. I wonder what it might be for you. It might be your kids. The thing about idols is that they can be anything that is a good thing that we take and make a God thing. We can have homes that are kid-centered homes. And we see these homes because then when the kids launch out, guess what? The parents look at one another and they go, well, what do we do now? I don't I don't know you. you. You don't know me. What's our schedule? What's our hobbies? What do we do? What do we like? What do we not like? Who who are you? Their whole world has revolved around their kids and nothing else. And in a kid centered home, what we often don't realize is that we've allowed our children to become our idol. We take a very good thing and make it a God thing. Maybe it's grandchildren. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's work. Maybe you just have to stay one more hour. I just got to stay 30 more minutes. I just got to knock out this one more project. I'm just going to get up a little bit earlier. And before you know, you're doing less with your church family. You're doing less with your family at home. You're doing less with your friends. You don't have friends anymore. All you have are coworkers. And nobody likes you really much because you're a workaholic because your God is your job. Maybe it's a hobby. I don't know what it is for you, but insert whatever is buried in the crevices of your heart and my heart that supersede Jesus. Because Jesus says, whatever that is that you love more than me, sell it, give the distribution to the poor and come follow me. And he doesn't dilute it. Folks, I'd have a hard time if Jesus showed up and demanded my idols of me and said, come follow me. With man, it's impossible. But with all thing, with God, all things are possible. As we've been focusing on one, sharing with one, don't dilute the message of the gospel. If you give somebody the gospel straight and true, it's impossible that they would turn and follow Jesus. Nobody in their right mind would give up everything For this Messiah from Nazareth from 2,000 years ago. With man, it's impossible. You can't 
persuade them enough. You can't be a good enough salesman. You can't trick them enough to believe the gospel. So don't try. Don't dilute it. Give the gospel. Straight like Jason taught us in our singing, Romans 3, Romans 6, 23, just like the rest of those verses in your bulletin. Give the gospel full and true and straight and trust the results to the Lord. Because even though with man it is impossible, with God all things are possible. And that's how people get saved. We share the gospel. God does the rest. As you pray for your one, as you share with your one, give them the full gospel. Call on them to trust in Christ and in Christ alone completely. Call on them to lay down their idols. And sometimes they just might surprise you like Braxton Bozeman. And say, man, even if I ain't never going to another rodeo in the rest of my life, I want to follow Jesus. By man's standards, it was impossible for him to say that. But we serve a God who does the impossible. He can do the impossible for you. He can do the impossible for your one. Will we trust Christ completely? Will we be bold enough not to dilute the message? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness, for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, help us not to respond like the rich young ruler. Lord, don't let us be so caught up and tied up in our idols that we walk away from you sad because you don't ask to be our co-pilot, Lord. You, you want to be the boss. And so we can't just come and, and kneel before you. We have to submit to you completely in every aspect of our lives. Help us, Lord, to do that. Lord, as we go to share the gospel, give us the boldness to just speak the truth in love. To be kind as we say it, but not to dilute the message. And to trust your, you, to trust you, Holy Spirit, to trust your power and the power of the gospel to do the work. It's not up to us. You just call us to share the message. Would you empower us to do that? And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who has not given up all that they have, all that they are, to follow you. Would you move on their heart? And as we sing this invitation song in a moment, Lord, would you draw them unto yourself? God, we ask that you would convict us, Spirit, that you would move among us, that we might respond in obedience in these moments during this song. We ask all this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit.